I'm so excited to invite Teresa Tung from Accenture, our keynote speaker on the stage to answer a very big question, is data mesh the answer to data democratization? So I will let Teresa take it from here. Thank you. Thanks, Jessica. And um, yes, I'm Teresa Tung and not Andy and um, really happy to talk about this topic and hopefully not a spoiler. I think the answer is yes. I think data mesh is the answer to data democratization. And um, I'm Accenture's chief technologist uh, for, for Cloud First. Cloud First is our business that is really pairing with how companies are using cloud to transform their, their strategy. And um, definitely at the core of that is the data foundation. That's the heart in which a lot of things are powered. And so when I read Jamak's blog about data mesh, maybe like a lot of you, it really struck a chord, right? Things around, um, how she defined really a concession to reality. We, we've been trying to create this almost infeasible practice of having a, a very standard, fully integrated data architecture that everything just is, is well-defined. And it, you know because of business priorities, data needs, emerging technology capabilities, that change means that change needs to happen at pace, right? At business pace, people are gonna make different decisions. Um, you're going to have more partners coming together, and those partners have already made data investments that are not going to change, right? So <clears throat> the question of your data platform or mine, um, that, that's not a question to even be had, right? So it's really around a federated data mesh architecture and the associated strategy and practices to make that happen. And so I, I really love the way that she defined um, that, that space for us to have this discussion and start working in it. And so really that that's really what, what I'm gonna be talking about is how we use that data mesh paradigm and really map it to data democratization. So let me first start with, you know, the time is really now, right? The time is now to be able to have these conversations and, and there's this digital achievement gap. So I'm gonna be bringing some research that Accenture runs. We run um, this research annually as part of our tech vision trends. We, we survey 6,000 plus executives. And um, so I'll be peppering some of that data throughout this data talk. And so one of these digital achievement gaps, we, we measured what's known as technology leaders and technology laggards. We define leaders as those businesses that are investing the top 10% within an industry who are making investments into digital and the laggards are the rest. And even before the pandemic, we found that these leaders, right, those who are making the technology investments were outperforming the laggards by times two, factor of two. And since the pandemic, that has just gotten more so, right? Now we see and are measuring a factor of five. And, and this is no surprise, right? People who have invested in that digital foundation were able to see changes when they were happening, to see what they could do about it, and then to make those changes. And the laggards really weren't in a position to even see and understand what was happening and understand the options that were available and then to act upon that. And so really the time is now, right? The time to be able to um, make that investment because your technology strategy is so coupled with your business strategy. It, it's really one and the same. And so really it's time to tackle the core, right? So if we look at tackling the core, um, data is hard. And a lot of the digital investments have sometimes been on the periphery, right? We've actually done a lot of things that might be taking 
um, you know, your development process. We're taking some of the user interfaces. Uh, the, the core of any enterprise is within that data foundation and, and it's been the hard one to tackle. But really now is the time to do that because again, your, your business strategy and technology strategy are so interlocked. And so what we really need to do when we look at data democratization outcomes is really to be able to tackle that core. So what are some of these outcomes, right? So one, to be able to unlock that tech debt that you have into tech wealth, to be able to unlock that trap value. Two is really to look at how you reimagine, how you operate, how you collaborate, how you innovate using that data now that it's it's unlocked. Three, how do you empower the, the real expert? And, and here, you know, a lot of times the experts, when we talk about technology, you know, you have your data engineer, your data scientist, your software developer. I would argue none of these are the, the real experts, right? The experts who, who know the business process, who really know the customer journey, um, who really know the regulations that need to be addressed, right? So that real expert, that ultimate end user, how do we empower that person in the business to be able to both publish data, use data? Four, to really establish your role in your data, your ecosystem. So not just your data ecosystem, but your actual partners. And, and so when you have your data really democratized and it's thought of as a product, this is really meant to elevate the conversation that it becomes a product just like any other product that you might be able to sell, right? It, it's it's um, on your balance sheet. It's something that you can measure value towards and something that really differentiates you in that ecosystem. So maybe it's that unique data, maybe it's a unique model, maybe it's a unique insight and, and ability to act, right? But really think about what is that role? And so democratizing data and to be able to tackle that core is really unlocking these, these four principles. And I'm gonna be using some, again, data from our vision to really, um, bolster why we think these trends are the right ones for data democratization. So, you know, we started the talk with, you know, data mesh. Data mesh is, is a strategy for this data democratization. It, it does, you know, push towards an evolution of the data platform as we know it from something that is very application centric or line of business or centralized, right? Into something that is much more federated by design and all the processes and operating model that supports that. So if we look at, again, the, the sort of maturity that we've seen in the data platform, we started with data warehouse, very application centric, very specialized. We've moved into data lake, which might be still centrally owned and governed. And you have some of the aspects of having different groups with data owners coming together, but more or less, it was still very much a centralized type of operating model. And um, sometimes if you didn't operate your lake properly, you, you did have a data swamp. So any principles from the data mesh, because we're starting with, um, you know, really thinking about flipping that, right? Flipping it into there's value in data, um, maybe in its original form, um, having those uh, domain owners and the producers of data really um, being the ones who who understand that value and to be able to publish it, that that flipping of that model has really been eye opening. So even if you're operating a data lake, using the data mesh principles will really help you make sure that you get value of that data. And um, the the additive notion of it is that you could actually start getting value of your data. 
um, even before if it's never centralized. And, and maybe that's the way that we should start working. And so we'll really look through these four principles and the rest of the talk is bringing to life these four principles to address the um, data democratization sort of um, uh, features that I was mentioning before. So I'll use the principles and the features and give an example of each of how you could get started. So let's start with the first principle, right? When we talk about domain-driven data ownership, um, you know, this is really where it's no longer that centralized view, it's a federated decentralized ownership. And when we talk about that democratization need to move from technology debt to technology wealth, like this is where again, that, that data domain owner is really the best equipped to make that change. So if we look at the, the, um, the vision report that Accenture had published, we surveyed and about 90%, 89% of our executives that we surveyed believe that their organization's ability to generate value will be increasingly based on the limitations and opportunities of their technology architecture, right? So clearly that data architecture is one and where there's so much debt and you can't get started with any of the new capabilities because that, that debt is there. And, and maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. There, there's, there's a reason why these, these legacy systems and these legacy applications exist. There's value in that. And so what we really need to flip that uh, perspective is to start looking at the value that you have today to be able to quantify it in a way that um, then can be shown to others within the organization and really plot that path to unlocking more wealth. So, so let me give an example of what that looks like. So I'm going to give a very product-centric example. So this is a product company. They make farming equipment. And the farming equipment you can imagine there's data about this equipment, right? There's data about how the equipment is operating, um, the warranties that it needs, um, who, who buys this, right? So there's value in that data and that might be used by the line of business that makes, let's say a tractor. And that, that tractor company would have value in that data for making better tractors. So there's value there. And that, that might be an initial part that you publish and then you can get um, and measure how that actually helps that business. That same data and that same view of the tractor might need to be used for improving, let's say your service operations. So as you get more data from this tractor, you might be able to have smart tractors and we might be able to sell a better service organization for the for the farmer who buys the tractor. And so now that that same data set that again, this, this uh, tractor line of business might have access to is something that should be shared. And when used by the uh, service organization, now you have smart tractor and you can really uh, maybe change the business and start selling um, you know, um, predictive maintenance and, and um, better warranties because you have this information. And so now again, that product, once it's shared with this other group, it, that, that's an additional um, means to maybe fund additional data sensors into the tractor, maybe funding a, a real-time stream so people could see live feeds of the tractor, right? So I think that that product itself could be enhanced with the next view. The tractor itself could be um, a unique source of data. So the next evolution might be thinking about, well, what does the tractor actually give? So it gives a very unique view of the the soil, maybe a unique view of how the farmer actually works the land, what the farmer actually does. So this 
is another sort of unique data point. And so the partners who might be interested in this new data point might be a agricultural data marketplace, right? Somewhere maybe where fertilizer companies or even, um, you know, outcomes and um, agricultural uh, futures markets might want to use this data to see how farmers are actually working that yield of land to be able to uh, predict um, a yield of crops. And so these types of products that I just described, that line of business is the one that is going to need to be able to understand the data that's available, understand, can I add either more sensors on the tractor to get more data, or maybe make the investment to package this data into a real-time stream, an API for that third-party data marketplace, adding metadata for them to be able to discover by a third party is harder than maybe adding the metadata and the dictionaries for an internal use or even easier within that, that single line of business. So thinking about that investment um, is really something, again, that that data owner, in this case, the product owner, and also the data product owner would, would really be looking at. And so as you're thinking about your um, sort of role as a domain owner, right? So if you think about having a data product, really think about it just like you think about any other product that exists, right? So what does, who are your users? So in this case, customer, right? Who are the users of your data asset? And if it's that engineers within the line of business, that's an easier sort of um, maybe type of documentation and they might need to be able to access it in a way that, you know, there's a table that they can use, right? And then there's a difference between that versus again, like I was saying with the futures market and the sort of level of um, outputs that they would need. And then as you're thinking about who that customer and that user is, how is this experience differentiated? And so, again, um, we oftentimes might have an easier way of thinking about how is it differentiated for an external user. That internal user is, is super important to think about that experience, right? So is there enough um, definitions here? Is there trust around that data lineage? Is there um, enough um you know, is there someone even a contact internally to ask about how that data is formed, right? That's going to really differentiate the experience and make that data useful. Um, how is this product technically feasible, right? So this is kind of where the investment does come in to think about what data system do you have today? Can you do the streaming version? Could you do an API? Uh, could you do something that is uh, a virtualized view, right? So there is a technology feasibility investment into this, but now that you know what the product is and who the users are, you should be better equipped to make the business case. And then finally, your um, that, that business viability, right? So this all ties together to thinking about that product. If we think about like the next phase, so let's talk about data as product. So now that you have the product, really this is the promise, like what can you do with that? Right? What can you do with it? And that is really around reimagining how you operate, collaborate, and innovate your business. So we, in our survey, we found that 87% of executives agree that digital twins, a digital representation of physical things. So whether it's customers, assets, locations, right? These digital twins are becoming essential to their ability to collaborate in strategic ecosystem partners. So how you're going to collaborate is by sharing data, right? That that is data is the baseline representation of that digital twin. It might be sharing models, AI is another representation. It might be sharing simulations, which is just another form 
of, of data, right? How you might have engineering and scientific simulations. And so as we think about digital twins, uh, let me give you another example, right? So digital twins, um, one step of it is just let's see the same thing, right? So as I publish these different data nodes and I have these views across the business, so I might have data from engineering and R&D, have data from supply chain, data from manufacturing, data from service. Just by everybody publishing this and seeing the same thing and allowing that to be accessed, there's value in that. It means that from engineering, I can see all the service requests that are coming in. So maybe when I'm making my design, I, I'm going to be able to see um, what, what customers desire and what doesn't work so well. I can see, let's say, the supply chain. I can see risks. And with my engineering and R&D, I might actually make different design choices based off of what's um, what I can see in that risk. And maybe there's other things that I already have that might actually be a perfectly good substitute for a particular part. Uh, might be more sustainable, but having that ability to see gives me that ability to make that decision. And then after you can see, then all the intelligence that we want to unlock comes on top of it, right? The predictive analytics, the prescriptive analytics, all the way into a, a what we look think about as generative design, right? So once you have all this data, you have the simulations to use AI to really help uh, predict the new design. So there's a sort of you know evolution towards that. That once you have the products there that this was going to help you reimagine and really create new products and new lines of business. So as we think about the maturity here, again, that there might be two dimensions that you can think about evolving and using your product once it's there. So one is um, in the, um, I'll say in the y-axis, the, the data dimension, right? We talked about being able to connect more and more data. So it might start with engineering design data. Um, manufacturing data, financials, and then field data. So being able to stitch this together is a way that actually lets you see better. Um, I will say that we found that starting with some of that design data is really important. It, it's almost like a Rosetta Stone that um, unlocks how other parts fit together, right? So if you have an engineering design diagram, and in that diagram, it shows how the physical systems fit together. That becomes a really great frame for now putting your manufacturing data, your logistics data, your field data. So this does say that, you know, traditional master data management or traditionally having um, investments into a view of systems that Rosetta Stone and that concept is still very valuable. So whether it's that initial piece about how customer 360 might fit. Um, you know, there, there's a value in terms of being able to start with that frame upon which a lot of this other data could, could sit. It doesn't have to be agreed upon, but it's a means to connect. So one is connecting. The second dimension, the y-axis, is really around adding more and more intelligence. And like I was saying, there's a lot of value just being able to see, right, in, in terms of being able to see the same thing and then adding the analytics and all the way towards, um, uh, you know, increased automation. So let's talk about the next part, right? So data mesh, self-service infrastructure. And self-service infrastructure is really around empowering that real expert, right? So the real expert, and probably a lot of us are data geeks, but at the end of the day, the real expert should be the person who knows the business process, who knows the data and the domain the best. And, and that's really the, the view that 
democratizing data is really about, right? To allow this person to make the, the decision or allow this person to really uh, model or label the data in a way that's easy for them without needing to understand a lot of the data systems underneath. So here, 86% of executives, they agree that their organizations must train their people to think like technologists, to use and customize technology solutions at the individual level, but without the highly technical skills. And so really, this is a, a really key part about what we think about when we think about democratizing data access. And a lot of times the conversations I have is, what's the role of the central organization? Now that we've decentralized things, how, how does a central organization help? And I think this is a place where that central organization can really shine. It's in providing some of that self-service infrastructure framework that's needed to, to support this. So let me give an example, right? So this is from a health and life sciences client, and they have a lot of really smart, uh, real scientists, right? Like scientists who, who know the science, and they, they need to make experiments with the data. They want to know what data sets are available. Um, maybe there's new clinical trials. Maybe there's new research coming out. How do I now, um, you know, set up an environment? Well, one, be notified that there's new data that I might be interested in um, based off of the domain that I care about to be able to evaluate that data for use, set up that in experimental environment, use the data, and then be, be done with it, right? And so there's a balance between self-service as to what the um, scientist in the story needs to have, as well as a self-service in terms of the different um, product owners, the people who own the data, need to publish into the system, right? So there's self-service on two sides of this story. And so the more that we can give to help both the publishers of the uh, data products, right, those domain owners, to understand, um, are there legal reviews that you need to review, right? There are, right? But making sure that they know how to do that, uh, making sure that they have some of the ways to measure metadata, right, and to collect that metadata. And this is gonna differentiate that product. And again, from a central organization, you might think the difference between a beta data product to something that's GA, to something that is really foundational as a external uh, product as well, right? So that that maturity that that is there is something that the central organization could, could provide not just the standards for, they're gonna provide maybe a design authority that can provide sample code for both the producers of the data as well as the consumers of the data, right? So when I was talking about the experimental environment, maybe it is the framework that takes the various data products um, to be able to um, bring some of these sort of feature uh, code snippets to create a little feature store that stood up. And then here the data, uh, you have a data workbench, right? For that engineer or that scientist to really work in and then to shut this down. And that central organization is gonna be able to see what are people requesting? What are people using? What are people willing to spend money for? Um, just like we, we do in other um, um, domains. So I'm going to use an analogy that I really love when I'm thinking about the role of the central organization. So we've been on this journey before. So when we made the pivot to REST APIs as data organizations, that's where we, we made this pivot, right? So when we had REST APIs coming out, um, I don't know, maybe five to seven years ago, um, it was a new sort of data paradigm. We, we had open access and there were APIs both for internal use for external use. And um, for APIs to really be successful, there was this need to really think about that ecosystem management. 
So if you look at the successful APIs, let's say Twilio for communications, Stripe for payments, these companies really excelled on how they worked with their community, right? Their, their developers and their users of this. And so in addition to the technology about publishing an API, it was really around how do you attract developers? How do you engage? How do you operate? So having um, easy sample code, having great documentation, having hackathons, having um, means to monetize meter and to adapt. So even thinking about how you might internally, so let's switch it to how you might coach now a producer, right? So in the case of the API story, it might be the, the format, like what is in the query parameter? What is in the body? What are the security pieces that you should be aware of? So there was a role for the central organization, not only to add new infrastructure, in this case, an API gateway, but to also really coach, right, on, on both how people produce APIs and how people consume them. So now let's turn this into the data world that we're in right now, right? So the data product itself and what the central organization can do is to do the same thing, right, to help these domain owners, many of which, and the reason why I think this is so interesting right now is Many domain owners, the reason why they, they didn't have as much, um, you know, let's say data lakes and insights was because it was hard. And oftentimes the skills, right, is still within that central org. So the more that the central org can actually guide and, and help people with that, that publishing, giving them the checklists of things to do, giving them the ways that you might measure metadata, um, showing them the benefits of if you invest to get this metadata, this is going to make your product so much better because people will understand it and be able to use it, right? Um, understanding the different technology mechanisms of how you might actually go from something um, maybe a little bit more legacy into something newer, right? I think that's something that they can help with. And then the same is on the consumer side, right? To be able to give again, that the equivalent of sample code there. So let's talk about the fourth pillar, right? Federated and global governance. And in this case, you know, it's really around establishing your role in your ecosystem. So many companies are coming together. So a lot of the problems I described, right, things around, you know, sustainability, things around uh, society issues, things around health. Um, these are all things that not only cross different lines of businesses within an organization, but cross partners. And these partners already have data and investments and um, it's multi-party by design. And so our research found that 90% of executives state that multi-party systems will enable their ecosystems to forge more resilient and adaptable foundations to create the new value within their organization's partners. Um, sometimes I think the way that we say things have a lot of words, but pretty much it means that multi-parties are coming together and there's going to be much more technology, right? Things like blockchain, things like federated learning, things like homomorphic encryption and multi-party systems that really can be supported and sprinkled in. So one way that data mesh really helps this is by having it in a mesh. Now you have a programmatic means to track everything that you have. You have a programmatic means to actually check things like lineage, things like quality, things like use. And, and this is actually a rich place that you could add beyond role-based access control, a lot of this attribute-based access control, because now you see things. And then again, if you're going to model and add much more about that, that domain use, um, that this is actually a great um, push. So let me give an example of what we've done with um, 
um, anti-money laundering. So you can see this guy, this guy is clearly a bad, bad actor, right? So um, money laundering is something that is, it's a problem that every bank and every financial institution has to tackle, right? So they're, they have to stand up these anti-money laundering organizations to, to really look for this sort of suspicious activity. And um, we've created an environment where by design, it was a group of mid-sized banks um, and these mid-sized banks um, wanted to buy the same utility. So the same, to be able to share models, to share insights and to really benchmark how they're doing against each other. So these banks, they already made investments in data. They all have different data platforms. They all have data with slightly different schema. And in this case, that's what they we started with. And so one is to be able to, using that self-service infrastructure I just defined, is to give these banks and equip them with some of the, the tools that they need, right? So here's some ways that you should measure metadata. Here's some ways that you should actually publish the data that you have. And then we gave them, you know, really incentives to say, well, if you publish it in this way, now we have a means to really programmatically track your lineage of data from your system of origin through maybe a system of records that the banks might use to actually benchmark each other. And then through all the models and all the users, and you might have different users along the journey, right? You have different users who are looking at that suspicious activity. You might have different business users who are doing governance. And so being able to add the, the metadata hooks throughout allowed us to really programmatically enforce this governance and have a very um, attribute-based sort of approach. So you're looking at the right thing at the right time, but based off of a governance that that has been set globally by the entire consortium, but also individually by each individual bank. And so, you know, as we think about this sort of end-to-end -end governance, right? Thinking about your data as products is really important because it'll differentiate what you measure at each step. So just in conclusion, hopefully I have addressed, you know, I do think data mesh is the answer to democratization. And hopefully we've seen how those mesh attributes match to the outcome. Uh, thank you.